I was so scared that I was not going to have enough money. Um, because for me, it's always been sort of this grind, this hustle to hustle to hustle to try and make ends meet. How did you survive in those first 10 months? Yeah, so, uh, you know, kind of going back to my uh, previous job, I'm a financial advisor. I would say I'm, one of my skill sets is, is money management. So I've always been good with money. I've always had savings. Uh, I had savings when I did this. And I've, I've always been... Um, uh, I, I haven't had the ego to, to go down to like a lower quality standard of life. So I ate a lot of ramen, ate a lot of cold cuts. Um, but we talked about like the, the first 10 months, uh, I still had my, my side business or my primary business, which was that freelance graphic design that was pulling in like a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks a month. And then my wife, uh, she, she was well employed at a company in Spokane making, you know, like $70,000 a year which was enough to support the both of us on that alone. So we were able to um, to make ends meet without pulling out of savings. And uh, just living modestly is, is what we did. Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we've got an incredible story from an incredible guy, Eric Van Holtz. And while you're here, make sure to leave us a review because it helps. And we, as always, appreciate your support. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M Podcast. Today, I'm super excited about my guest. His name is Eric Van Holtz. He is the founder of Beard Brand. He is a Shark Tank alumni. He is the owner of the best mullet on the internet and my friend, Eric Van Holtz. How you doing, brother? What's going on, Aaron? How you doing? <laughs> How you been hanging in there with this whole crazy situation we got going on? Oh, man, I hate it. I hate it. Like the two, the, the two favorite things in my life are travel and rowing, and both of those have pretty much been canned. So I'm uh, trying to adjust to the new normal and take control of my life and start doing things a little bit differently. Uh, but nah, yeah. it's it's not been fun. And I'm a, I'm an extrovert as well, so I like being around people and hugging and high fiving and all that stuff. I get it, I get it. See, I'm an introvert. The more I do this, the more I'm on the internet. The more <laughs> the more I become like the Unabomber without like technical skills of actually like building stuff. So today, I want to talk a little bit about you, a little bit about your business, and really allow people that are out there that are thinking about possibly starting a business or going down that entrepreneurial journey, I want to sort of hear your story a little bit because you fascinate me. The first time I ever saw you, it was, it was actually me watching you on Shark Tank. I saw you, I said, who is this big dude? Who is this dude with this voice? And really, is there that much of a market for, for beard products? Now, the fact that I was sort of in this world in terms of men's grooming, I had an idea of what you were doing, but you came at it from a different angle. Um, your products were a little bit more premium. Your packaging was sexier. And it was interesting to see sort of how you, how you sort of explained your business and the fact that you have not always been an entrepreneur. You were and you got your start from a very different career, which is a, a financial advisor, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, I was a little bit of a journeyman. I wasn't really successful in, I mean, I was successful, but not like super successful in any of my previous careers. I was generally like a salesperson. How did you go from financial advisor to beard brand entrepreneur? Tell me and tell everybody a little bit about that, that story, that journey. What was that moment where you thought, you know what? I think I'm done with this. I think I want to start a business and, and fend for myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always visualized myself as an entrepreneur. Um, what I was up to that point was a, a failed entrepreneur. I probably had like three or four or five different, uh, I don't even know if you could call them businesses, but like projects that I tried to get off the ground that never really got off the ground. So, um, 
you know, in this like journey of, of failure, I just kind of like fell on my sword. I'm like, I need a job. I need to start making money. I need to have some wins in my life. So uh, as a salesperson and as a guy who likes finance, I ended up taking a role as a financial advisor uh, at a mega bank and working there, they want you to look and act a certain way, which is suit and tie and side part. And as you look at me now uh, with my glorious mullet, uh, I'm not that dude. Uh, <laughs> I like to be a, a little more adventurous with my style. And uh, I, I just didn't feel like I was in the right environment. So I ended up uh, quitting, working there, and I grew my beard out pretty long. And in the process, I was trying to start another business, a uh, marketing design business, like a freelance freelance kind of business. And I would go to these networking events, and everyone would call me ZZ Top or Grizzly Adams or Duck Dynasty. And those are super cool dudes. But again, like I got the softest hands you could imagine. These hands are meant for keyboards. They were not meant for any kind of <laughs> axes or, or anything like that. So uh, it wasn't until I ended up going to this other event where I started meeting other guys with pretty gnarly beards who were like stay-at-home dads and lawyers and doctors and ministers and uh, designers, entrepreneurs. And I realized there's this community of guys that didn't fit the traditional stereotype of, of what it meant to, to have a beard. And it was right then that it struck me that, you know, beard brand was going to be this community to unite these guys and uh, the community were going to be called urban beardsmen. So uh, that's when I got the the idea and inspiration for it. And we started uh, just as a, a content site like YouTube, a blog and a Tumblr in 2012. And it wasn't until 2013 that we actually started selling some products. How many products did you start with? So we actually started by selling uh, another manufacturer's product. So we were just a simple retailer. Um, and uh, it was just uh, beard oil and mustache wax. And I think we had two fragrances of beard oil and, and one fragrance of, of mustache wax. So it was super small. How much money did you invest in this initial inventory to start or to start your business? That's what, because a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of people think that they need to have a bunch of cash in order to start a business. Um, I feel like in this world, in today's you know day and age with, with all of these resources out there, you can really, as long as you've got an idea, you've got an internet connection, you know, there are resources out there for you to start a business without, it, without deep pockets. So how much did it take or how much did you start your business with? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say it was uh, like a $30 investment. Um, because mm -hmm. what we, 30, 30 yeah, man, what, what, <laughs> uh, if we, if we like added up, maybe it was a little bit more, but it was essentially like I was buying a Shopify theme, um, which was the $30. And then I reached out to the manufacturer. I'm like, Hey, can I place a hundred dollars of order, uh, for a wholesale order? Um, but the thing was before I was actually received the stuff and paid for it, we were already getting orders. So he was drop shipping them for me. So before I actually paid, uh, the $100 for that first order, he was fulfilling them. So we had positive cash flow pretty much from day one. Now, I also paid like a 11 bucks for the domain, beardbrand.com. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but essentially, it was literally like- Yeah, less than a pair of that. shoes. You know, like less than a pair of nice shoes or a suit or something. When, like. did you know, when did you know, what point did you realize this is it? I think this, I found it. Because you have, you know, tried different things before, oh, yeah. as I had tried different things, you know, you, I think as an entrepreneur, you beat your head against the wall oftentimes. And there is a tendency to sort of stick with something a little bit longer than you should. Uh, but it sounds like you were pretty much, you know, astute enough to realize when things weren't working, you weren't seeing the, the progress, you weren't seeing those little wins. But with Beard Brand and the beard oil and the beard bombs, it was, there was a point at which you must have said, you know what, this is it. I need to go all in or I need to continue to pull that, 
pull that thread. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I'm probably different or, or maybe I'm like most ideas guys where like to me, like having a new idea and starting something is like super easy. So my challenge isn't like sticking with something too long. My challenge is giving up on something too, too quickly. So uh, I had a vinyl wall graphic business and uh, online e-commerce business that I sold like two, two things and then I gave up on that and then I had uh, you know, an executive recruiting um, service that I was providing, I gave up on that. And then of course my uh, marketing consulting or uh, independence uh, design, I gave up on that. Um, but Beard Brand was like the first business that really checked all the boxes for what I was wanting. It, was, it allowed me to like uh, imprint my creative aspect on it, my design aspect. So with the packaging and the website design, and then it was a product that I cared about. Like I love beard care products and I uh, loved, uh, you know, the community uh, that we were in. And then it was e-commerce, uh, which I also love. So it, it was an online business. So pretty much like everything about beard brand was enjoyable. Whereas like the vinyl wall graphic, like I really didn't care about vinyl wall graphics. I just thought it was a cool idea and I could do it. Um, same goes with like executive recruiting. Like I just wasn't passionate about it. Um, design was cool, but I didn't like the idea of trading my time for money. I wanted something a little more scalable. So Beard Brand was more scalable. I could grow it. Uh, the growth of the company wasn't limited to the time that I put into it. Um, so that was a lot of fun for me. And it was a gradual thing because it was bootstrapped and we didn't put a lot of money into it. It was pretty much any dollar we made went back into the business. Uh, so the first month was like $200 in sales and then like $900 in sales and then $600 in sales and then 1000 and then 2000 and then you know, 4,000, 7,000, 16,000. So it was right around like, uh, I would say like 10 months of the business where I knew that this was gonna be like a legit, sustainable, not gonna go, I mean, hopefully not go out of business uh, type of project that I could I could commit to it 100% and it could put food on our table and a, a roof over our head. So, so you said something a few moments ago about what you're really good at. You're really good at ideas. You're really good at, at concepts, at packaging. That's your strength. How hard was it for you to identify the things that you were not strong at? And how did you find partners? Because, you know, that is the other, that, the other part of this. You do have two co-founders of Beard Brand that basically will, will sort of pick up where, where you leave off or they're strong in areas that you're not. And so... I think there's there's this, at least for me, it's difficult for me to relinquish controls or to actually be honest with myself in terms of, you know what, I'm really good at this, I'm not good at this, but there is this, this control mentality that a lot of people have. How soon or early into your journey in this business did you end up partnering with your two partners and where do they fill in the gaps? What are each of them good at that you're not good at? Yeah, it's, a, it's funny you ask that question. So, um a couple of things that I brought Lindsay and Jeremy on, uh, my business partners, uh, before we launched the store. So uh, we launched the YouTube channel in um, February of 2012. And then uh, we launched the store in January of 2013. So it was like around November or December that I talked to them about coming on board and uh, gave them the opportunity to buy into the business, uh, which they accepted. Now we talked about uh, where they're good at uh, versus my weakness. I really like Lindsay and Jeremy and I, we're all like pretty much three exactly the same people. We're very philosophically aligned. <laughs> uh, we're like salespeople, we're total entrepreneurs. Um, but fortunately, like um, Lindsay has kind of like stepped up into the operations role, 
Um, she's also a very good visionary. She's incredible at like um, seeing problems and being able to solve those problems and, and having um, vision to complex operational uh, challenges. Whereas I kind of lean more on the marketing uh, side of the thing. So we've, we've kind of split up our roles that way. And then like as one of the face of the companies, uh, you know, I have a lot more risk on the business. If, if something, if the business doesn't perform well, then, uh, you know, people are looking at me and they're judging me and my abilities. So it's really important that, that things go as expected. And in terms of like giving up things, there's, there's things I just hate doing. Like, um, I love serving our customers and I love interacting with our customers, but the weight of, of all the issues that come in from customer service, like it overwhelms me. <laughs> it's just like, I can't, I want to solve everything like right now. Uh, but, and I know I can, but it, it also like just prevents me from like getting out of the business. So getting customer service off my plate early on. And, and what they say with a business owner is like the things that you let go of, um, the things that you hold on to the last is going to be the things that becomes the, the weakest thing for your business. Uh, Cause it was really your, your core competency. Um, but I've always been like, I, I'm a visionary guy and I'm an ideas guy. So if there's any kind of like operational task type of thing, uh, whether it be design or customer service or operations, I'm happy to give that stuff up. So as long as I've, I've, you know, got good team members in there who I can trust, um, and we do, uh, then, uh, I, I like being in kind of la la land. How do you, how do you know when it's time to hire somebody? I think that's as a, as an entrepreneur, when you start a business, there comes a point at which you've got to make the decision, a, do you hire? Who do you hire? And how do you figure out how much to pay them? Where do you look? What would you say is, is your best piece of advice in terms of when do you know it's time to bring somebody on in order to help you do what you do better or allow you to have the free time in order to scale the business, grow the business, and have the vision um, to move it forward? What is, what is your advice? Because I think for me, that has been something I have always struggled with. Yeah. I've always resisted hiring people because the the act of hiring somebody and trying to bring them up to speed required my time and it was just easier for me to say you know what you know screw it i'm just going to do it myself even though i'm doing it half ass yeah. and so what is what is your best advice for for when to know when to hire that first employee yeah we've got 15 team members now uh and we've made a lot of mistakes in hiring i would say the biggest mistake we have had consistently with hiring people is when we hire with expectations for growth. Like we hire someone to grow the company or to do this, to start a new initiative. That's when uh, we we always end up letting them go because we just don't see the growth. So what, what I kind of think is the best scenario is when you're working um, 40 hours a week and you're not able to accomplish everything that you have to accomplish to move the company forward. And typically as an entrepreneur, what happens is you don't work 40 hours a week, you end up working 50 or 60 or 70 hours. So it's when you're doing anything over 40 hours, that's the time that you need to start hiring to get those hours back to 40 so that you don't start this process of burning out. Um, and there is gonna be that, that three month or six month grind uh, where the person has to ramp up and you have to make sure that they're being successful in their role. When did you start taking a paycheck or money out of the business after you started? Yeah, I think it was um, like 10 months into the business. And I think I was paying myself in those early days um, probably like $24,000 a year. 
So I think it was like $2,000 a month is what I started paying myself. So in those like that, that first two years, you know, I made like $36,000. So entrepreneurship, if how did you, how did you, how did you support yourself while you were getting to that 10 month period? Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, when, when you think you get, when you decide to start a business, you get super excited, right? And, and in your head, you know, everything works out perfectly. And so I'm a firm believer in, you know, have your side hustle, you know, and have another job basically, because nothing takes the fun out of a business or an entrepreneurial endeavor, like, you know, not having food or not having money to, you know, to put gas in your car. And so for me, it's always been something where it's like, have that, that job, that side job while you're working on, on this other job. And there comes a point at which you can, you can give that away. For me, it was, I was personal training. I was personal training after my, my fitness center shut down, you know, long before or long into when I had my businesses, my, my, or my one business, Pete and Pedro, along with you know my youtube channel i was still moonlighting as a personal trainer because i was i was so scared that i was not going to have enough money um because for me it's always been sort of this grind this hustle to hustle to hustle to try and make ends meet how did you survive in those first 10 months yeah so uh you know kind of going back to my uh previous job i'm a financial advisor i would say i'm one of my skill sets is, is money management so i've always been good with money. I've always had savings. Uh, I had savings when I did this and I've, I've always been, um, uh, I, I haven't had the ego to, to go down to like a lower quality standard of life. So I ate a lot of ramen, ate a lot of cold cuts. Um, but we talked about like the, the first 10 months, uh, I still had my, my side business or my primary business, which was that freelance graphic design that was pulling in like a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks a month. And then my wife, uh, she she was well employed at a company in Spokane, making you know like seventy thousand dollars a year, which was enough mm -hmm. to support the both of us on that alone. So we were able to um, to make ends meet without pulling out of savings, and uh, just living modestly is is what we did. Let me ask you another question: What have you fucked up? <laughs> like when you look back at the business Beard Brand specifically. What's the one thing that you look back on and think, you know what, I really screwed the pooch on that, that, that thing, that idea, that, that concept. I was totally wrong about this. Yeah. Can you think of one specific Oh my God, well, maybe... the, the better question is, what have I not screwed up on? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can give you a whole list, um, but off the top of my head, we had this spinoff brand called Urban Beardsman, which we sold like... Uh, accessories and backpacks and wallets and uh you know even olive oil and uh, it was this kind of cool concept that was built around like influencer marketing so like carlos had his favorite items i had my favorite items jeff bon cristiano had his favorite items and our customers were just confused out the pooch had no idea what was going on we ended up making like these button-up uh shirts that i thought were, i remember yeah. with the x on the pocket, yeah yeah right? yeah i thought that was pretty cool but no one else did <laughs> i think we made it a little too slim uh so yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was a major one. And then the hiring has been a constant mistake probably up until this point, we finally have an amazing team. And then like going into Europe was logistically really challenging, uh, for the business that we probably should have waited until we had, uh, just a better, uh, grasp to be able to handle kind of like our product offering. All right. So let's flip it around now. What's something that you've done that you're super proud of and that you think was a really good decision looking back or in hindsight? 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is not the sexy things, but um, I'm really proud of the relationships that I have uh, with my business partners, Lindsay and Jeremy. There was a period of time in, in 2000, I like 14 or 15, that we were probably on uh, the brink of like breaking up and going our other ways. You know, fortunately, we always committed to like resolving our issues um, respectfully. And we had this trip to Amsterdam. We have quarterly strategy sessions. And I remember like going to the airport, Lindsay nearly missed her flight. Um, and there's just a lot of strife between uh, the three of us. And we got there and it was just so awkward, you know, like you could just feel the tension in the air. There's just this whole underlying issue between <laughs> Lindsay yeah. and, 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 and I, and then of course, Jeremy as well. And, and it was, um, fortunately, like we were able to work out what the issue was, uh, which was essentially like finally like rewarding ourselves for all the hard work that we put into it and, and taking money out of the business rather than living on $24,000 a year, we decided to, to pay ourselves like uh, a normal salary and uh, be okay with the fact that if the business never grew, we could still live a, a good life like this. And then once that happened, Lindsay felt like she had more control over her, her journey and she felt more supported by me. Um, and then I was able to speak more freely to her on kind of the issues that I had and we were able to resolve let's, that. Let, let's talk real quick. You mentioned something right there about lifestyle. There are different theories and there are different mindsets when it comes to entrepreneurs. Some people, that they're doing it for, for that lifestyle, for the ultimate freedom. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to go and speak at a lot of events because they love getting up on stage and speaking. Um, you know, but then there are some people that are more in the mindset of, of a, it's, it's almost like a growth mindset where it's tunnel vision and they get rewarded not through the experiences that they can do personally, but through the actual act of being an entrepreneur, doing the grind, doing the work, and, and seeing things come to fruition. And so I am of that mindset right now. You, I see as somebody that I'm, I, I envy because I feel like you have figured something out that maybe I haven't in terms of really enjoying sort of your time. You went and spent months over in, in Europe. Um, you took your whole family over there. And so being an entrepreneur, being a successful entrepreneur has afforded you the luxury and the opportunity to live life on your own terms. And so tell me a little bit about your, 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 your mindset and why you get value from these things and how your business has afforded you these opportunities. Yeah, I, I think this was something that I personally struggled with as well in the early days. And uh, I think that the issue of this like growth of all cost and like growing this giant corporation, it really comes from a drive from, or I, I speak for my own behalf, I don't want to pigeonhole everyone else, but for me it was this uh, outside appreciation, like grow it to a hundred million because then I could be on Forbes magazine or Inc 500 or whatever and get all these accolades and you know people will pat me on the back and talk about what a great entrepreneur I am when I should have been focused on my in intrinsic motivations what makes me happy and the real idea is like all those things like being on the cover of a magazine or or whatever it may be those are, are all fleeting but if I can enjoy the journey and say like this is the path I'm on and every step of the way is, is part of the pathway and it doesn't end. There is no destination. Like destination is when you die. And, um, you know, so I, I, 
I took a step back and with the help of, of Lindsay and Jeremy and kind of got that perspective to enjoy the ups and the downs and, and figure out ways to, to kind of solve the issues that we we're running into and, you know, know that it's okay to not grow a hundred million dollar business because the reality is once we got the $3 million in revenue, um, I could live the life that I wanted to live. I could travel. I had a roof over my head, I had food on the table. I could pay off all my debts. And, you know, like from there, it's just slightly nicer house or slightly nicer cars or slightly nicer watches. You know, to me, were those material things worth it? You know, they're, they're fun and nice to have, but they're not really giving me that much more value in life. So I kind of came to All right. So let's talk. So let, hold on. You just mentioned a few things. So what is your vice? What are you into? Or, yeah, yeah. I know, I know a few things you're into, but... <laughs> But what is what is your guilty pleasure? So, so to? yeah, so another couple of uh, hacks in life that I've <laughs> talked about, and uh, uh, is have your vices be really inexpensive. So coffee, uh, and I think you're a coffee guy as well. Um, coffee is like you know what, a hundred bucks a month tops if you really get into it. Um, rowing is another one. I you know I might pay a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks a month uh, for rowing, and then. Um, you know, like I, I fancy myself a car guy, but I, uh, I love um, appreciating assets more than I love, you know, cars, which are, of course, or my disdain of depreciating assets is, is higher than my love for cars. So I haven't really gotten into cars, but travel and then travel's pretty You also expensive. like sunglasses. Sunglasses. You're a big sunglasses oh, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. As yeah, I, I am. I don't yes, have my yes. enemies. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got no, my no, enemies no. over but there. I saw but the, uh, I saw the Pit Viper collaboration, uh, which oh, is, yeah, which is I, I, <laughs> I saw that and I, my head almost exploded. I'm like, good for him because you've been telling me and talking about Pit Vipers before, or I guess when they started to become sort of like a thing, you're like, dude, you got to get these, you got to get these. Yeah, so anyway, dude. speaking of collaborations, I want to talk real quick because you were the first entrepreneur that I know. Now, just for a little, little sort of, I guess, like context for the people that are listening or watching this, you know, one of the ways that Eric and I have become good friends is through the Menfluential Conference, the defunct Menfluential Conference. Um, that was a place where, you know, a lot of these people that were online came together to actually learn and try to sort of, you know, just help each other grow and, and you know, just commiserate. Because as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I have struggled with is it's a lonely road oftentimes. And especially if you're a solo solo entrepreneur, it's very lonely. Um, your friends don't understand, even though you may have an incredibly supportive spouse or loved one or significant other, they don't understand. And so the thing that really, I think, sort of my, my life and my, my happiness, honestly, there was a pivot when I met a lot of other people that were also online entrepreneurs because finally I had a place where I could come, I had people that I could talk to about the things that I was dealing with. And so one of the big tips that I would like to offer you guys out there is, is connect with people that are doing the same thing. Because, you know, for me, I would go to these parties, I would go to these, you know, gatherings with, with my, you know, friends, my wife's friends, these people that I know that, you know, work for the man, the man, or they, they have a nine to five job, they have a 401k, they live for their, you know, two vacations a year. And although I have a great time and a nice conversation, I, it's, a, it's a different level of connection that I feel when I'm around people that are, that are grinding, grinding, grinding is an overused term, but that are, that, are, that are in the trenches like I am trying to figure out this, this entrepreneurship thing. And so that was something that 
was amazing when I, when I met you, but you were one of the entrepreneurs. And honestly, you were further ahead than pretty much everybody out of all of our sort of our, our, our network of people that would come together. You had like a real business. You were doing millions of dollars. You were in Nordstrom. <laughs> and this like was amazing. And I can remember being like, dude, I'm going to Nordstrom's because I just want to see Eric's products on the shelf. But would you consider Nordstrom a success or a failure? Because now, actually, we'll get to now in a second. But tell me a little bit about, about Nordstrom, the feather in the cap, and then the reality of the situation. Yeah, I think it was uh, Nordstrom, uh, Selfridges in the UK was a, a, a feather in the cap. And then uh, Colette's in uh, Paris, uh, France was a, another one we were really proud about. Um, you know, retail is um, a, a different business model and uh, you need to have a different strategy for it. I, uh, in the early days, kind of with a premium product, you need to go to the higher end retailers first. And then as you kind of like establish that rapport, then you, you go to the more mainstream uh, retailers. However, I, you know, Nordstrom, I think is kind of in transition right now. I think they're trying to figure out what works best for them. And, and they weren't really in a good position to kind of support small brands like us and, and to be successful in Nordstrom, you had to have your, your reps in there and you had to have a big team and you need to have a sales process. As you know, Jack Black is in our industry and they've got a huge kind of like consulting uh, retail sales force that really helps people get informed about their products and how to, how to use the product. So I think it was a good learning lesson. We didn't lose any money on it. And I think Nordstrom's a really cool uh, retailer. Uh, and, and we'd be happy to, to go back in there, especially now that we're a larger company, a little more established. How long were you in there? I have no idea, like a couple of years, something like that. But it wasn't okay. like, you know, we our direct-to-consumer, our beardbrand.com has always been uh, our bread and butter for, you know, reaching our audience and our customers. All right, so Nordstrom, you pulled out of Nordstrom, but you did go into Target. Tell me what that process and what that experience has been like and what that's meant to your business. Yeah, Target, Target's a great partner. Um, we, uh, so Target works through these, um, they call them like marketing agencies or something like that. Um, so we were approached by a, a few different marketing agencies uh, over the years. And the first time we, we were reached out to one, uh, we weren't ready to take the, the brand, Beard Brand, mainstream. So we ended up spinning off this, this other brand called Aiken and Cash. Uh, with products and and they started by selling that product on target.com and the volume was like terribly low it was like you know one or two units a day tops so you're not you're you're going through all this hassle to create two brand new products and and not get a lot of volume um so we kind of like stopped working with target and then after i guess it was like 2 years ago or 3 years ago they they reached out to us again through a different marketing agency and at this point we we had already repaired our relationship and we're like, the business is kind of at this point where, you know, you know, if all the, the snooty people, we tried to get into Neiman Marcus and they turned us down. We tried to get into Barney's and they turned us down. So we're like, well, the, the premium retailers don't want to carry us. So let's, let's go mainstream and, and try to get it in front of new customers there. So we did that and um, that's been great. So we, we kind of launched with all the stores and target uh, we, because they are approaching us and wanting to carry our brand. We kind of had a, uh, the ability to kind of dictate the way we wanted to do. And because we were, you know, financially independent through our sales on beardbrand.com, it was really like, 
we're going to do it the way that we want to do it or we're not going to do it at all and we're okay with that you know going back to what we talked about earlier we're okay with the business never growing another dime um so that's been a, a, a it allowed us to to make sure that we're involved in a relationship. But to be fair to Target, they're great partners. They're really, um, they're willing to support smaller brands and give you guidance and insights. And um, What's interesting about Target, I was in uh, my local Target um, a few months ago before, before everybody got quarantined, and they are really doubling down on the men's mm-hmm. grooming space, which was amazing to see. Um, I think where, you know, you've got the Ultas that sort of have pulled back, um, you know, Target is doubling down and their displays were sexy. They had an incredible selection. And so um, that is incredibly impressive that, that you've been in there. Let's talk a little bit about culture and corporate culture because Beard Brand does it Beard Brand's way. Yeah. Um, the thing that I was struck recently, uh, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to come down to Austin and um, actually hang out with you and a few other guys. And, and you gave me a private tour of the Beard Brand you know, headquarters. And it's this really super funky, you know, eclectic, exactly what you would expect a, a cool, hip, beard brand company to, to be in. Talk a little bit about what is the culture and what is the culture that you are sort of trying to instill in your, your, your company and your employees? And, and what does it feel like to work at a beard brand as, a, uh, as an employee? I guess you can't technically answer that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, beard brand is really driven by our core values, which are freedom, hunger, and trust. So these are like plastered across everything. They're plastered across the hiring process. They're plastered with posters on the wall. It's how we make decisions to work with vendors or partners. Um, if you think about it, freedom, hunger, and trust are kind of like, uh, this triangle, um, where if you have too much freedom or if you have too much hunger, then it starts to erode, uh, the other ones like the, the, the trust and, and freedom if your hunger is too, too high. Um, so you, you really have to work in balance with these core values. And that's kind of one of the things that we talk about with our team is we, we want balance, but beard brands are a really, really hard place to work at. If you're the type of person who is looking for a boss to give you instructions and guidance on what to do, there is like very, very, very minimal management involved. You kind of establish your own metrics and your, your key performance indicators on what will be successful in your role. And then you're responsible for it. And if there's something that you want to do, you just pretty much come up with a plan for it and share it with the team and communicate, and then you do it. Uh, so there's not this like uh, very hierarchical, you know, I'm telling you what to do, you go and do it. Um, so a lot of people like they cannot function in that, but fortunately we've been able to find people who are drawn to that. And uh, I would like to think that the people at Beard Brand would say it's a really great thing to work there. How do you re- how do you reward your employees? What would you say to these guys out there listening? Um, because I think the 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 reward structure and how you compensate employees and and I think that's a that's a whole other animal in terms of trying to figure that out in terms of motivating people. And ultimately, people are different. But what do you guys try to do to really sort of to compensate and, and um, you know, sort of motivate and reward your employees for doing a great job. Yeah, so so we don't reward them. Um, it it kind of goes back to our core values. Like if you want to be uh, a beard brand or a beard brander is going to be intrinsically motivated. So more money or, you know, outside appreciation, those things are nice. Um, but if that's what's driving you, you're not going to be successful at beard brand. You have to be the type of person who's just intrinsically motivated to do better, uh, to be hungry. Up to this point, 
we've kind of had the policy that we would compensate people at uh, the 50th uh, percentile. So essentially average of what their pay would be anywhere. So they, um, they could, you know, they had a one and two shot of getting a higher paid uh, job somewhere else. And then where, sure. where people really value working at Beardran is that freedom and the core values. So you're not going to have the boss. You're not going to have someone telling you what to do. You're not going to have to deal with all this red tape. And, uh, you know, for the right type of person, they're going to value that way much more than, you know, a, a higher paying job. And then, you know, we do other things like, you know, we, we don't keep track of their time off. And, you know, now with COVID, they can work remote, things like that. But our goal is, you know, to, to make it, you know, just completely stupid that you would not want to work at Beard Brand. So our, our, our goal is to raise that, that, that 50th percentile up to, you know, 75th percentile, eventually like 90th percentile or 95th percentile, where uh, we're doing everything on our end to make Beard Brand such an amazing place that every single day you, you choose to come to the office because it's such a great place. And then I also tell the team members, I'm like, save up, like, don't have any debt. Don't buy the house you can't afford. Don't buy the car you can't afford because I want you guys to be able to leave and go work anywhere else. Um, because that means every day that you're not choosing to go get another job means you're choosing to come work at Beard Brand. So I want a team that is excited and passionate about working on the things that we're working on um, rather than, you know, like that, that obligation that they feel like they have to come in because they don't have any other options. Five years, Eric, what does the next five years look like? Yeah, you know, we've had an issue of uh, trying to do too many different things, and I'm sure that's going to creep into the business model as well. But ideally, I want to get better <laughs> at, at the things that we currently do well. So better at, you know, uh, faster shipping out products, you know, better product offering, a fuller product offering. Uh, I would like to get back into Europe and, and start serving those customers again. And then I do have some like kind of side business projects that I want to get off the, the ground that are kind of related to beard brand. But uh, those will always kind of be, you know, secondary to, to growing beard brand. But I think beard brand can become a, you know, like a, I've, I've always thought it could become a hundred million dollar revenue business. So we're still in the, the seven figures, uh, upper seven figures and getting close to the eight figures. So I, I got to get into that category first. And then once we get there, then uh, push it up to, to nine figures. Well, I know you're going to do it. So, all right, Eric, last one. Last question. I really appreciate all the time that you've taken, and, and it's been a lot of fun, and it's, it's cool to just sort of hang out and, and connect with you, as always. What is the one tip you would give an aspiring entrepreneur in terms of any, it, it, it's basically anything you want. What is, what is a tip or what is one piece of advice you would give them um, that you feel is, is valuable? I'm, I'm giving two tips because um, uh, these made a, a huge impact on me. Uh, when I was an inspiring entrepreneur, I always try to convince my brother, my coworkers, you know, friends and neighbors to start a business with me. But they were, as you said earlier, the nine to five guy. They were, they were never going to do it. So tip number one is put yourself around other like-minded people. I started to go into entrepreneurial events, uh, startup weekends, these type of events I would attract entrepreneurial people. And it wasn't until I met Lindsay and Jeremy who were both entrepreneurs that I realized it's so much easier to connect with other entrepreneurs to grow a business than to convince someone who's probably not ever gonna be an entrepreneur to become one. And the second thing is uh, steal Nike's tagline, which is just do it. So much of entrepreneurship is doing things, making mistakes and learning from those things, adjusting and like incrementally uh, 
getting better. You always want to make sure you're making decisions that um, the downside is not going to put your company out of business. Um, so like you can always go like two steps forward, one step down, but you never want to go two steps forward, two steps down. Uh, cause that would put you out of business. So, um, be willing to, to make risk and make mistakes, but you have to act. Action is, uh, entrepreneur's best friend. Eric Banholtz, thank you and your molar for joining me. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> where can I, exactly, I just love that thing. So, so where can everybody find you, Eric? Yeah, I'm the only Eric Banholtz in the world. So if you Google me, you'll find me. Twitter has been a, a hot spot for me. And then my big recommendation is, uh, as always, uh, just buy something from Beardbrand and you kind of get to see what our voice is like, what our emails are like, uh, what our products are like, our unboxing experience, and uh, just kind of how we interact with the world differently than the majority of of companies out there. Beardbrand.com. Eric, thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon, man. Gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate your support. Once again, if you found this episode or any of the content I've put out in the past helpful, please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to this on. Once again, every week, we're going to read out and feature a few of my personal favorite reviews. And if you're looking to upgrade your sunglass game, don't forget to check out Enemy.com. Honestly, the quality of these glasses for the price is insane. Just read the reviews. Gentlemen, stay awesome.